All right, so Nehemiah chapter number four. Let's read through it this morning. The whole chapter, or yeah, the whole chapter. But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now remember in the book of Nehemiah, that's a rebuilding of the, of the physical Jerusalem, a rebuilding of the, uh, of the physical part, around, including around the temple and stuff. When you get to Ezra, it's a spiritual rebuilding. In uh, Nehemiah, it's a physical rebuilding, but we're going to talk about it in a spiritual sense in our own lives this morning. So they're having to clear away rubbish and they're having to clear away the rubble as well as rebuild what's there. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish, which are the burned? Verse three, now Tobiah, the Ammonite was by him and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from thee, from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. You know the devil won't mess with you unless you start building. You start building your, your spiritual life. You start working on your relationship with the Lord. You start going back to the old past. And that's kind of the thing we've been in these last few Sundays. But you start rebuilding your life, that's when the devil's going to come up. That's when he's going to show up. And uh, we have Sambalat and Tobiah, kind of a type of, uh, kind of a type of Satan, a type of the spiritual attacks. Uh, verse 8, and conspired all them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build a wall. And our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us 10 times from all places whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. And this is coming from the Jews the discouragement. Therefore said I in the, lower, in the lower places behind the wall and on the high places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your houses. 
And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears and shields and the bows and the habergeons. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which builded on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large and we are separated upon the wall one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be guarded to us and labor on the day. So neither I, nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. So one of our key verses here is in verse number 10. So they've been, uh, the, Jerusalem, this is after the captivity. They're finally getting to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Nehemiah had gotten word from from one of his friends that came back from Jerusalem, and he said, how fair is it? And he told him that the walls are burnt down and that there's rubbish everywhere. The gates are torn down and the burned with fire. And it, got, it struck Nehemiah in his heart, and it took him to his knees, and he repented. He repented for Jerusalem. He repented for the, the Jewish people. And he repented before God, and he asked God to help. Over in uh, chapter number one, he says, uh, in his prayer, let, that, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open in one verse six, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the words that thou commandest thy servant Moses. I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. You know, it's quite a thing, because back then, they, they had been scattered for 70 years. There was no reason to expect. When you looked at Jerusalem and when you looked at the temple, there was no reason for them to expect to be able to raise that city from the state that it was in. It was over. They were captured by the Babylonians. They were captured by the Persians, and they had forsaken God. But God has mercy. And he said, if you will turn toward my temple, if you will turn toward my holy place, if you will keep my commandments, he said, verse number nine, but if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, 
Though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. It's an interesting thing that we see nowadays, too, with, the, with Jerusalem, with Israel. We see God's people gathered back together in 1948. I don't know how to speak to what's going on today. It's irrelevant. But the fact that the Jews were scattered among the nations, I mean scattered into the nations, and then came back. And I've talked about it plenty of times before. But in your own life, how does that apply? Well, God keeps his promises. When you read in his word, when God's given you an assurance, God will keep his promises. He said, uh, verse number 10, Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day. And I get carried away because I didn't mean to read all of that, but I thought about Nehemiah's prayer. And, and God gave him the opportunity. He was about to go before the king, and God gave him the opportunity before the king. And Nehemiah said a little quick prayer when he went before the king. And the king saw his countenance, and he sent him out. And not only did he send him out, but he sent him with supplies. <laughs> In the navies, we called it chits. You had a chit, and you went and got your supplies. And he, he got supplies for the building and the rebuilding, and he gathered. He went around and surveyed at night, and he saw how the walls were broken down, and he saw the gates that were burned with fire, and he saw the desolation, and he assessed it. You know, one of the things you need to do in your own life, if you're going to start building, you need to assess the damage. You need to look back. As painful as it is, you need to assess the damage and say, this is what has happened. This is where I am at this moment. And he prayed to God and he gathered the people together. And the Bible says in, verse, in uh, chapter number four, the people had a mind to work. There has to be a willingness of mind to bring it together. But we get to this part in chapter number four, verse number 10. In the beginning of chapter number four, we see that as they begin to rebuild and they get halfway through, they've got the walls halfway up. And that's when the devil kicks in. And, and we see some things happening to the people as they get halfway into this project. In verse number 10, it says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. I read, and it makes a good point, you know, it's not when they're laying bricks. It's not like when you go to Home Depot and you got these little five-pound bricks that they're laying. <laughs> it's not even like the cinder blocks that you can buy that are about, you know, 25 pounds or something like that. But they're dealing with stones, and these stones are covered with other stones, and they're covered with burned-up wood, and they're covered with trash, and they're covered with rats and everything else, and they're getting tired. Because there's not a pile of bricks, there's not a forklift bringing it to them, but they're getting tired. They have to clear away, and oh, this is a good stone, and they're setting it aside, and they've been working, and they're halfway through. It says, and Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build a wall. The strength of the laborer fails. These folks have been working for a while. 
You look in verse number six, it says, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. And they're beginning to lose that mind to work. They're beginning to decay in their strength. The wall was built halfway, and halfway point is a dangerous spot to be. Halfway point, you can go either way. You start on a trip, you can turn around and go back home, or you can go forward the rest of the way. The initial excitement is past. The initial momentum that you had is past. You drive by some people's houses and you'll see a dozen projects all halfway done. You see that truck in the yard with a hood up. I remember growing up, going to my grandfather's, and I saw that same engine hanging from the tree with a blanket over it. And it had been there for a few months, you know. It was a project that was going to be done. I remember... Uh, talking to a fellow out in Georgia, and he loved Thunderbirds. And uh, I remember being in his yard and talking to him, and he had the, he had the 78 Thunderbird. Y'all remember those, the big ones? And he loved that thing. The only thing was he had a drinking problem. And every morning, <laughs> he had to pull that, they, every now and then he had to pull that big old Thunderbird out of the ditch. <laughs> because he he drove and in, driven it into the ditch the night before. Sitting there talking to him, and he had a and this was back in the nineties. Now, sitting there on the porch and talking to him, and had a nice uh, it looked like what about an eighty-eight Thunderbird, you know, one of the nicer ones, the newer ones at the time. Looking out there, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, I got a good deal on that, you know. Oh, well, it looks nice. Yeah, I'm gonna take the engine out of that and put it over in that one." <laughs> You know, they, they talk about polishing some things that just can't be polished up. But so you get halfway through on a project and you're in danger of not finishing it because you lose a lot of the momentum. The young mother, after changing what seems to be the 50th diaper that day, loses vision and says, there's too much rubbish. We can get overwhelmed by the rubbish. I have that particular problem. I can get overwhelmed by the rubbish. I got to get Dee Dee to help me. It's like, you know, I'm going through my dad's stuff and I got to hand stuff off to her, you know, because my instinct is to want to keep it. And I know I can't. I can't live his life. We have to live our own life. I can't follow and, and do everything behind him. So we get caught up and overwhelmed by the rubbish. The man at work, surrounded by difficult people, takes his eyes off the work and says, it's too much rubbish. Rubbish and discouragement, they're like Siamese twins. One leads to the other. You get tired and you start looking at how much still needs to be done and you lose sight of what you're doing and why you're doing it. They were here to rebuild Jerusalem, the place where King David had walked through the gate, the place where Absalom had sat at the gate, the place where Solomon ruled, the place where God made them a home. It was the seat of God's of Israel. It was the seat of Israel. It was where the temple was. You get weary from work, but you still play with your children at night because you have a vision of how you want them to turn out. You get tired of going to work, but you keep going because you know you have a vision of what you're going to do with that paycheck. So in your own life, you need to have a vision 
of where you want to be with God. You need to have it in your head. Where do I want to? How, how do I want my relationship with the Lord? Do I, do I want to be walking in the Lord? Do I want to have faith with God when things are going wrong? Do I want to be that rock that everyone else looks to? Do I want to trust God? You got to have that vision. A lot of times we just pick up the Bible and we say, well, I want to read it. I want to get through it because I can say that I have. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we've lost that vision. Get caught up in the rubbish. What is the rubbish in our everyday lives? It's the getting up in the morning. It's the work that's got to be done. So they were frustrated by the amount of rubbish it needed clearing out. Look at verse number 10. The strength of the bearers of burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build a wall. There was trash all around. Um, they were fearful. A loss of vision. Since there's so much rubble, what, what were they looking at? What were they looking at, at what had been accomplished? Were they looking at what had been built? You got to take the wins too, and I'm learning this. You guys have heard me discouraged, or you guys have heard me apologize for things, or something like that. I'm learning to take the wins. I'm done apologizing. <laughs> Miss Gage feverishly nodding her head. <laughs> I'd get up here and apologize for this and apologize for that. And, you know, there, there's a time and a place for apologies. It's when you hurt somebody's feelings. But you know, you got to take the wins. You got to look around and say, you know, I made it to church this morning. I beat you up last week. I'm going to help you out this week. I made it to church this morning. I opened my Bible this week. I prayed to the Lord this week. And if you didn't, get on your knees and pray and take that win. But it's done by steps. I told him this morning in Sunday school, I said, you know, victory doesn't look like what I thought it would. I thought as you began to do things or as, as things began to clear up, and I may be giving away too much information, that's just going to happen because it's me. It's just me. But I'm, I'm working on some things, right? And this sermon isn't about me, but it's, it's about our walk with the Lord. If you want to rebuild, if you want to build your walk with the Lord, your time with the Lord, you're going to have to look back and say, you know, this wall... It's, it's halfway finished. It's not that it's halfway and, and we're just done. You got to look at the stones and remember laying them. You got to look back at the street and say, you know, that street was a little dirtier than it is now because we've made some progress. So look at your own life. And as you do, you, be, you begin to walk closer and closer to the Lord. Don't discourage yourself. Don't apologize. They were fearful that the wall wouldn't be built. I found this. I thought it was funny. Gallagher, the comedian, said it always amazed him why people were so amazed by the pyramids. He said all they are is buildings being built by people with diminishing goals. If you think about it, some of you are sitting out there confused. If you think about the pyramids, it starts out as this grand platform and diminishing goals. It just gets smaller and smaller toward the top. It was funny to me. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for that. Well, now you should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
There's not a one of them that's as broad at the top as its foundation is on the bottom. Halfway is a difficult place to be on a project. You're halfway through redecorating your living room and you're tired. The newness is worn off. I remember, I'm not dumping on my grandparents. Maybe I am, but I just remember my grandfather was a carpenter. You ever heard the phrase, the cobbler's children have no shoes? My grandfather was a carpenter and he was building a house for for uh, my grandparent, you know, for him and my grandmother and all the kids that were still there, my uncles and aunt. And uh, I remember, I remember going through that house, you know, the upstairs part. That upstairs part never got finished. Matter of fact, over time, they just finally took that whole top part off when they sold the house. <laughs> he built another house and it was mostly finished. But yeah, I remember being up there. That was the first time I got shocked. He got halfway through that house, and there was just too much rubbish. He couldn't finish it. So you see Nehemiah's plan here. The enemy steps in. They're frustrated. They're tired. And they're fearful. What did I put? They're fatigued. They're frustrated. And they were fearful. Look in verse 10. He said, there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build a wall. Verse number 11, and our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. There's nothing like that unknown fear. You can face a battle when it's coming head on, but when you're not sure when it's going to hit you, it's, it's a little harder to face. And that's the way Satan works. When you're not looking, he'll hit you when you're not looking. He'll hit you in that spot that you're not guarding. But what did Nehemiah do? Well, let's look at the enemy. In verses 11 through 10, uh, let's see, the motive of the enemy and cause the work to cease. The greatest victory that Satan can have is for the work to cease because when you stop doing things for God, the people that would have been helped by you are now not being helped. Do you get that? That person that you're witnessing to, that family member, if you give up, Who's going to witness to them? That person that's looking to you that you don't even know about, I've thought about that. No man is an island. I talked about that last week. There's people looking at you that you don't even realize. And when you give up and you stumble and you fall, how many are going to be taken with you? You have no idea. It's a fearful thing. The greatest victory that Satan can have is for the work to cease because when you stop doing things for God, the people that would have been helped by you are now not being helped. That word fitly spoken that you would have shared from reading your Bible that day doesn't happen. And that person can turn to the world for answers. You never know what kind of effect you can have on someone spiritually. And you may never know what effect you had on another person's Christian walk. But if Satan can take you out, you can rest assured that it won't be the same. God will use somebody else, but he could have used you. The method of the enemy, lack of knowledge, they will not know. It's not a direct correlation, but in Hosea 4, 6, says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. The point of it being is when you, when you stay out of your Bible, you're going to miss those points. When you're not staying on the wall, you're going to miss when the enemy's coming. You remember Nehemiah, one of the things he did was they got on the wall, they had one hand 
spread and mortar. They had another with holding their sword. There was a lack of knowledge. There was a lack of discernment. They will not see. There was a lack of encouragement. Verse number 12, and it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times from all places, whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. In other words, the Jews that lived outside the city were telling them, look, any way that you come back to us, if you come out of that city and come back, they're going to get you. And there was discouragement in that. Now, it's bad enough when your enemies say it can't be done. But when your friends say it can't be done, and this is from Adrian Rogers, he said, now it's bad enough when your enemies say it can't be done, but when your friends say it can't be done, that's the coup de grace. Ten times the Jews, I mean their fellows, those that are supposed to be on their side said, you can't do it. And they said it over and over again, and that is, you're a failure, Nehemiah, you'll never get it done. And that's from Adrian Rogers. The result, till we come in among the midst of them, in the midst of them, and slay them. Our greatest defeats can come from self-defeat. That's something I know better than anybody. You're beating yourself up. Just change it. You say, well, that's, just, that's easy to say. Well, just do it now. There's one thing you can do now. Take that win. Do the next thing. But get on your knees before God, and the first thing to do is to pray. And that's what Nehemiah did over in verse number four. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger. First thing that Nehemiah did was pray to God and ask him for help. We get in those battles, <laughs> and uh, we tend to want to go jumping in on our own. We tend to want to go head first into them. It's like, I've got this. So we see what Nehemiah did to fight this in verse number 13. Verse number 13, he said, Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So they got on the wall He set people on the lower places. He had them with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Don't neglect your equipment. First, there was placement. Nehemiah organized the people and put them in places that gave them the greatest advantage. Oftentimes, we fail when it comes to building relationship with God because we fail to put ourselves in the right places. Amen? You need to put yourself in the right place so that you're aware of when the enemy's coming. You remember Jonah down in the hold. He was asleep. He said, awake thou sleeper. The storm is raging and everybody's praying to their gods and and they had to come down and wake him up. And people can go spiritually asleep. I know that I've done that myself. I got busy working in the sound booth. It was so easy because every service you're just caught up in. Okay, I have to. This is one reason we don't have slides. Because you just get so caught up in the business of putting the slides up. Oh, I got to make sure I got the next one and then the next one. And the preacher's wife was kind enough to put a slide number next to each line that he had. And, you know, so I would know when to put the verse up. And you're more worried about having put that verse up before he said it. Do I go back 
and everybody knows that I messed up? Or do I just kind of leave it there and everybody thinks that I just got to it at the wrong time? You know? You know what I wasn't hearing? What the preacher was saying. You can hear the Word of God without hearing the Word of God. Putting ourselves in the right places. And then there was the equipment. Ephesians 6, 17 tells us, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Your salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, and, and holding on to that, putting it on. That's why Ephesians tells us about that. As Miss Gay pointed out this morning, no piece of that armor is on your backside. It's all for pressing forward. And I've heard preachers go into all about the Roman sandals, how they had cleats on them so that they could press the advantage, you know. We think about wearing sandals and flip-flops. We think about slipping and sliding when it gets slick. But those shoes that the Roman soldiers wore, they had cleats on them so they could push into the ground and press the advantage forward. It's not to turn back because God's got our back. God also goes before us. <coughs> but if you neglect to put that on, if you neglect to pick up the word of God, the sword of the spirit, if you neglect to, put, to pick up the shield of faith, to, to put your trust in God before anything that doubts you, quench the fiery darts of the devil, you're neglecting your armor. And then encourage Equip and encourage. Nehemiah 4, 14, uh, 4, verse 14. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, and your wives. He was encouraging them in verse 14. He said, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible. And that's the thing to keep in your mind. When we were in Sunday school, we talked about rejoicing in the Lord. I mentioned Harlan Popov, a book I have read several years ago, and he was put in prison. He was a pastor in Poland when the Soviets took over, and he was, he was put into prison. And he, went, he was in several prisons, I think over the course of 13 years. And he never lost his faith in that time. He led many people to Christ in that time. And he talked about the torture that he faced and he talked about being put into a pit one time with several other men so they couldn't even sit down. There wasn't hardly room and they kind of, I think they had to take turns sitting down but this pit was dug in the ground and it had a, it had a grate over the top and when it poured down raining it would rain down in that hole and they're standing in the mud and when you're in that mud and you're in that pit and you're with those men, and, and none of you had a path. And that's the least of your worries because you've also been rarely fed. There's nothing to rejoice about there. That's a time when somebody can get mad and say, God, why would you let this happen to me? And people do that. When something happens in their life, when they lose a child, when they lose, when they lose a family member, they say, Lord, why did you let this happen to me? And they can... They can get upset, they can get off track, and they can spin out like that plane I talked about before. But in all of that, Harlan Popov in that, in that pit, he rejoiced in the Lord. It's rejoicing in God. It's rejoicing in God's goodness. It's understanding this world isn't going to cater to you. 
This world isn't going to bring you pleasure. Or the pleasures that it brings will also inflict a price at times. But when you're following God, when your faith is in the Lord, your relationship is with the Lord. Nobody can take that away from you, no matter what they do. Rejoice in the Lord. He encouraged them. Matthew 10, 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body with soul and body in hell. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And in Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So don't forget the vision. They had come to Jerusalem, and it was a time they were excited about the project. Let's put it that way. They stood there, and Nehemiah said, it can be done. And he'd looked at the rubble, and he'd looked at the torn down, the the walls and the gates burned with fire, and he said, you know, we can move this. We can rebuild the gate. We can put this up. The king has given me supplies. He's given me timber. He's given me stone, all of this, we're able to rebuild. And we've gotten halfway there. And they start to get frustrated by the rubbish. (coughs) They start to lose the vision. What was the vision? It was the spiritual home. Jerusalem, the spiritual home of Israel. And they began to lose the vision. And he tells them, He says, remember the Lord. Verse 14, I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and the rest of the people, be ye not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And there's people that you're fighting for in your own life. Remember, no man is an island. There's people that you're fighting for, whether they know it or not. He says, be ye not afraid of them. He says, and fight for your brethren your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. Fight for your family. Stay close to the Lord for your family's sake. When you begin rebuilding the walls, when, you, when you're in Jerusalem and you're rebuilding spiritually in your own life, when you're building those walls in your own life, don't forget about your family. You're doing it for them. You're doing it for yourself too, but God has got you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I mentioned a verse this morning in Sunday school. Let me go to it here. John chapter 5, verse 24, if you want it. But this is something to remember. This is something a long time ago when I went to the youth detention center. And uh, I knew a little less than I know now. I remember getting the opportunity to lead one of them to the Lord after the preaching. And I was just, what do I do here? I was with Brother David Walker. And I said, "Uh, well, what do I? He said, show him John 5, 24. And I I never forgot that. I never let go of it. Because somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I get them to read John 5, 24. And that's the vision for you. I mean, you're, you're taken care of. In John 5, 24, the Bible says, Verily, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word 
and I'll stop like Brother Grady used to. Did you hear what that said? Because I'll have them read it. He that heareth my word. Well, let me, let me ask you something. Did you hear our word tonight? Did you hear that there is none righteous, no, not one? Did you hear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Did you hear the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Did you hear that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish? Did you hear that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness? Did you hear that? And they'll say yes. I said, so it says, that, so that's you it's talking about. He that heareth my word, and did you believe those words? Well, that's why we're talking on this verse, right? Because they believe those words. They've put their trust in Jesus Christ. This is after they've prayed. And believeth on him that sent me. And then I said, now read the next part. And they say, hath everlasting life and shall not. I said, hold on. It says what? It says, hath everlasting life. Well, if you want to get into the English language, that's a present possession. You have everlasting life. You're on this world. Yes, your body's going to die one day, but you have eternal life because God promised it to you. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, and shall not, shall not come into condemnation. Now, generally, I'll show them Revelation chapter 20, verse, I think, 18. I think it's come, what comes to mind. But take them back to Revelation chapter 20. And it shows all the small and great, all coming out of the graves and all standing before God. And they're all standing. The books are open. It's the day of judgment at the great white throne judgment. And they're facing condemnation for their sin. Because it says, whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire that burns forever. And that's death. That's condemnation. But I'm talking to somebody that accepted Christ as their Savior over in John 5, 24. And we're talking about the vision here. He that believeth on him that has sent me hath, ever, hath everlasting life and shall not. I said, what? Shall not? I mean, it's not going to happen, right? Shall not come into condemnation, but is what? Passed from death unto life. That's that transition on Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. And that's where you are in the beginning. But when you accept, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you accept Jesus Christ, you pass right through. I call it a door. And that's just me. I hadn't, But you pass through that, and now you're on the side where Jesus died for your sins. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And there's the clear gospel presentation. And why are you hanging on? Because your family your friends, your wives, your husbands. They might be on the other side of that word, but they might still be on that side where the wages of sin is death. Or they're working on their own wall and Satan's there to discourage them. 
And they're looking to you for encouragement. He says, remember the Lord, the great. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And terrible. In, uh, in World War II, in the theaters, you know, you didn't have TV to get the message out. So in theaters, they would put these films in uh, while you're waiting on the movie. And they'd have these, why we fight. If you've ever seen one of those clips, they're fighting in World War II and they, they don't want the people to lose the vision for what's going on. And they say, why we fight? And they would show the horrors of war, you know, in, at least in, in that context, in that time period. And they say, this, they were encouraging the population. This is why we're fighting. This is why your son's over there. And this is why your daughter's over there. Or, well, it was the sons back then, right? But the daughters were over there in the nurse corps. But this is why they're all over there fighting. This is why there's stars in windows. This is, we're fighting for the heart and soul of America, in a sense. We're fighting, you know, the threat. But they would show those films, why we fight. Every now and then, you need to remind yourself why you're fighting, why you're hanging in there. It gets a little discouraging sometimes. So don't fail to fight at work on the billboard. I think they just took them down, but they... uh on the billboard, they'll, they'll have a, why I stay safe. You know, because in all honesty, out of the plant, it could happen at any time. I was talking to a fella this week, and this makes me a little sad. I'm going to share it with you. But uh, there was a fella that, that uh, a machinist, you know, they were working on a pump. <coughs> and he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time, I found out. At the time, and this kind of messed me up a little bit, because I, you know, felt like I was about the same age as him. But uh, I was over in that area also. I come down the road. I go through every week. I do my resets. I'm not in the plant proper, I guess. I'm not behind the battery limits. But I had come around to the shelters, and I'd gone through, and when I came out, I was about to pull out on the road, and I see this plume of smoke coming up. And so I go back, and I park, you know, and then I heard the alarm, heard the alarm and the exclusion zone and everything, and then I find out that a man had died in that, and there were two guys that got away. I was talking to one of the operators this week, and I said, yeah, that messed me up a little bit. I had a bad week that week. And because uh, you just, you're, you're faced with the fact it could happen at any time. And it was even worse than I thought because I, I said, well, what happened? How did he get trapped up there? He said, they were working on a pump and there's toolboxes up there and it was just routine maintenance stuff. And one went downstairs, the other walked over and put his tools in the toolbox, and that flame came up from the bottom deck and got him. And uh, I got kind of sidetracked with that, telling you about that. But, you know, we have the billboards out there that say, why I stay safe. And it's to give you the vision. And it's the pictures. People will post pictures from their home and pictures of their kids playing baseball, Pictures of their families at Christmas, pictures of their, 
their wives, pictures of their husbands, pictures of their dogs, whatever it is. But this is why I stay safe. They tell you, we want you to come home in the same shape that you went to work in. And you got to think about, why do I stay close to the Lord? Why do I stay in my Bible? Why do I want to walk with the Lord? And don't fail to fight for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, for your houses. So there's encouragement and then there's engagement. Look at verse number 19. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one far from another. We get out of here and we all go our own way in our own lives, but there's a way. It says, in what place therefore you hear the sound of the trumpet? Resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. I always thought about that trumpet as a prayer list. You're not alone. Don't have to fight it alone. Matter of fact, I'm not going to apologize, but as a preacher, I should be busier than I am. So we'll see about that. But he says, and resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. And likewise, at the same time, I said unto the people, let everyone with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of them, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. It's engagement. It's having your sword by your side. There's still work that has to be done. You see the vision before they were just clearing rubble and everything, but now the threat was real. They stayed within Jerusalem. They stayed in the place where they were working. And they had their sword by their side and their trial in the other hand lay in the mortar as they worked. All right, if you'll rise.